Hi, Kirk. Good to have you on the show. Good to have. Good to be here. Thanks, man. So, uh, for everybody who doesn't know you, could you please tell us a bit about yourself? Oh man, it's a how to say it. Long story. I'll make a long story short. I'm a father of three crazy kids, which is why the background is the playroom of of where I work at home. Um, so my background is in finance. I've always been interested in finance. I've taken the non-traditional route in many cases to uh, where I am now. So I used to work in New York for Deutsche Bank. I was an M&A, mm. switched over, and I was uh, on the other side of the Chinese wall doing research. So I was an analyst at BB&T. And then after a while, I decided I didn't want to do either of those jobs and decided to start trading at home and trading for myself. And Fast forward now, I've been doing that for over 10 years and along the way have built up a community at Option Alpha just kind of talking about what we're doing and it's grown into like 168,000 members now, which is crazy. Crazy. So uh, Kirk, could you please tell everybody like why did you get uh, excited about like stocks in the first place or trading in the first place? Sorry. Oh man. Okay. So like this is deep stuff. Right? I didn't even actually realize this until probably six months ago, like what my real reasoning behind options was. So like, I'm not necessarily like, I love stocks and the market and stuff, but my real like passion is in options trading. And I, ne I never actually understood it until like six months ago. But I think where the root of it came from is that like during my childhood, I had like great parents. I won't take anything away from my parents. Great parents, like obviously like made me into the person I am, but my parents were both in the same industry. And so growing up when things were really good, they were really good. Right. So they were both in the mortgage industry and real estate industry. So like when things were good in real estate and mortgages, like we knew it at our house. Right. But when things were bad, like there was no there was nothing worse than those times. Right. And so my entire childhood was like this roller coaster of like things are great and Christmas was awesome and like things are crappy and like, you know, it's like terrible. And it, and it wasn't like their fault. Like they just happened to be like stuck in this thing where they both of their jobs and their incomes, they had no other sources of income coming out, you know, and it just, it, it was this like cycle that I just got into where I just hated volatility, which is funny now because I trade the markets and I like try to control volatility. Right. But like, but I got to this cycle where like, um, you know, I, I just understood that I didn't want to be part of volatility. So mm. I just, I'm going to get a amazing degree. Right. So I went to university of Virginia, got a great degree, went to work for a bank. Like, this is great. Like, this is what everyone should be doing. This is what everyone wants to do. They want to be an investment banker. I get there and it's 2007 and it's right before mm. the market. Right. So now I'm like, well, crap, now I'm in this thing and I did all the right things and I, I played by the rules and now I'm on the other side of this and I have, you know, tremendous volatility and, you know, like now my job and, you know, I just, mm. I hated that. So eventually like I found options trading and, and to me, options trading is literally like fits me to a core because I don't like volatility. I want to be in control. So I feel like options is a way to control what I can do. Mm, got it. So, so basically what you're trying to say here is that, um, you hated volatility as a child, right? Or, I hate yeah. yeah. <laughs> now I hate it now. Like I like the idea that like options trading controls volatility. Like if you do it the right way, it controls volatility, it profits from volatility to some degree. And so to me, it just like is very fitting. Like I've always looked for something that didn't allow me to get back into the same cycle of You know, just like letting somebody else be in control of what happens. I like to me, that's personality. Mm. Yeah, it sounds like a nightmare to me too. So, <laughs> <laughs> could you oh, please? Uh, yeah. Huh? Go. 
<laughs> no, go ahead. <laughs> so, uh, could you please tell us, like, how did you, uh, how did your journey look like in the beginning? Like, were you reading a lot of books? Were you uh, watching a lot of YouTube videos? Um, how did you get into this whole like option trading world? So. Yeah. I mean, like, so I have a finance background, right? So like I went through school, I have a finance degree. I went to work in New York as an investment banker. And so during that time, what's cool about Deutsche Bank is that I had an opportunity to do a rotation on a trading desk. And so you can kind of like rotate around and you can, you know, choose to go someplace else and kind of see what they were doing. And that's really where I got like a, I would say like the first really introduction to like how, how it's done on a very small level. And I wasn't there long enough to say like I understood the intimate details of it but it was definitely the spark that kind of like moved me in the right direction but over time like i did everything like i tell people you know like mm -hmm. i tried day trading i tried futures trading i babysat forex trades like i stayed up one night and babysat a u.s dollar great british pound pair like two nights like you know like i've, I've been there and done that crazy what i eventually found is that my personality like doesn't work for any of those markets like i'm like very emotional like guy like you know like i get emotional about money and you know obviously because of my background so i had to figure out something that wasn't going to allow me to be emotional right and so eventually came to options trading because i realized it was more of a math data-driven approach that really has very little emotional control needed right um and so that to me really kind of like called to me if you want so. Got it. So, so for everybody who isn't familiar with with option trading, like, what is the big difference between like option trading and forex trading and stocks? Because like for me, it's like everything is the same. So, <laughs> but I'm no no expert at this topic. So, uh, could you please, for everybody who isn't familiar with those things, like. Um, explains the key differences here. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot of things we could like dive into. I mean, it's, yeah, it's a big picture a stuff. Of, yeah. Big picture wise, like when you think about pretty much every other type of investment um, and like in the traditional sense, stocks, bonds, commodities, futures, Forex, mm. that stuff, it's a, it's a bi-directional trade, which means that you have the opportunity either to buy it or to sell it. And, th and there's no other real component that's like embedded in that. So you either buy yeah. a stock or you choose to sell a stock and you either own it at the current price or you don't own it at the current price. Same thing with Forex and commodities and futures and everything else. Like Bitcoin is in this like category and all those cryptos are in that category. Mm. What is cool about options trading is that it adds another like dimension of trading, which is not only can you just trade the underlying security if you wanted to and use options contracts to do that, but you can now trade based on different time horizons and different prices that the security may or may not go to. Mm. And so this like added third and fourth dimension, if you will, of options trading creates a little bit more complexity, right? Because now it's not so simple. It's not just, oh, I'm going to buy Apple shares or whatever the Apple share price is. No, it's how, how you know, much is Apple going to move in the next 30 days or the next 60 days? And do I think that it might move this high or this low or stay in this range? And so that complexity to some degree gives us an opportunity to potentially profit. And it's uh, pretty much the same business model as like insurance in the case of volatility. But what we find in options trading generally and like the whole thesis and theme is that most of the time people are over exaggerate how high they think a stock is going to go or how low they think a stock is going to go and so this over exaggeration takes time to play out they they think that something really bad is going to happen but it doesn't or they think that the stock is going to have this amazing move higher but it doesn't and the difference between their expectation and what actually happens is where potentially you can make some money
So um, could you please share with us the story about like, how did you get this thing going? Like, um, were you like successful right off, uh, out of the gate? Or yeah, could you please speak no, to that? Okay, no. So I, I, <laughs> I've said a number of times, like the first week that I was at home, like actually really trading. And this was more as I was kind of finding out like what to do. And I was trying to I didn't really have rules. I was breaking every rule that I now have probably at that point. How old were you back then? So it was 10 years ago. So I was in my early 20s. Mm, so, so I was at home and I was doing it. And thank God for my wife because she was a teacher. And so she allowed me that flexibility to say like, yeah, go ahead. Like try to make a go with this. And we're living on a teacher's salary basically and some saved money from New York and, you know, all that stuff. And so I was at home and I basically lost like a couple thousand dollars like the first week. I mean, I got – too greedy. I fought back against the market. My position size was wrong. I was, you know, over allocated. I mean, like all the things that I say now, like you can't do. And I, I like, you know, but you don't learn until you actually learn how to do it. But I remember she was like, listen, if this is why she's like, I'm not working so that you can do this. You know, <laughs> yeah, it sounds like gambling to me. <laughs> uh, well, just figure out what you're going to do. So, um, so, you know, like that kind of really you know, turned me in a different direction where I started going, okay, like that was cool. That was fun. I did my, you know, did my thing now, like, you know, like let's, let's do something different. So, <laughs> okay. And, and how did you get the ball rolling? So, uh, yeah, you know, I think I'm on a never ending journey. So like, I don't mm -hmm. think that that process is going to stop for me. So like from like, say that time period, right. Where I don't think it was a specific day or anything, but I've been on this like relentless journey just to understand more about the markets and more about options trading strategies in general. So I feel like there's been a lot of research about option pricing and how volatility works and the Black-Scholes model and binomial models. And there's a lot of research on like the mechanics of an option contract and how the options market. There's very little research in the last couple of years on strategies like do this strategy with this allocation, this amount of time and, you know, manage the position at this. And so what I've been really like focused on over the last couple of years is how do we get more of that research out there? So I would argue to say we have the biggest database on the planet right now of actual strategy performance because we have millions and millions and millions of trade history, like trade data on strategies that have been implemented. So now what we've been doing is going back through these and saying, okay, we know that there's no unicorn strategy, right? There's no one strategy that's going to work in all environments. But what we have found is things like you should have guideposts for how you enter positions. So what I mean by this is, you know, like a lot of people say. That's totally subjective and that's not even possible, you know, to do because there's no unicorn strategy. But we can have guideposts that say, look, you should probably focus on this time frame and you should probably manage the position around this, you know, ballpark number. And you probably shouldn't take more than this amount of risk. And to me, that's where I think we've really made a dent because it's it's changed not only our trading, but also like how we think about options trading. I'll give you an example too, because I think mm. it's really relevant. Last week we started a new component to our portfolio which is a continuous VIX hedging strategy. I've never done this before in my entire life, but we've done so much research on this now that we wanted something that would give us long tail exposure because we know like at any point something crazy can happen. So we wanted something that gave us that long tail exposure that didn't cost a lot of money that was you know positive expected value. That's a dramatic shift. And I've been looking for that for years. We just finally finished enough research to say, look, we feel confident that we're playing in the right ballpark. We're going to start executing the strategy. And that started last week. So I'm continuously mm. to evolve how we look at trading and how we look at options. 
So, so sorry for asking the beginner questions because um, yeah, I have no clue about this topic. But uh, <laughs> so, so um, would you say that options trading is something that people do like full time, or is it like something that people do on the side? And like, what kind of money do you need to start with? And yeah, could you please speak to that? Yeah. Okay. So I think starting money wise, like you need money to start trading. So yeah, sure. <laughs> I think you could start with three thousand dollars, maybe. I think if you started with $5,000, the numbers make a little bit more sense. And I'm talking more like because you can position size accordingly, you can get enough positions on. Now, the the problem with that is that when most people start with $5,000, they have this assumption they're going to double their money in like two years, right? So mm -hmm. you're not going to your job on $5,000. But could you start with $5,000? Probably. Like you could get the ball rolling and start the process. I think time-wise, everyone assumes it takes more time than it does. So some of the best strategies that we've seen like – historically perform are done, you know, once or twice a week on a rolling basis. So you come in, you log in, you figure out what ticker symbols you want to trade, execute the strategy and you're out. Like if, if I had to watch the market all the time, I would definitely not do this. Like I got three kids, mm. a wife, I run option alpha. I do that all because I, my trading time, the time I actually spend trading is actually very little. So I don't want to be watching the markets all day. I don't want to be actively buying and selling contracts every single day. So My whole like thought process and thesis on this is that you shouldn't be that active. So could you do it as a regular retail investor, regular person? 100%. You could still do it with your job. Like log in in the morning when you're checking your coffee, you know, don't watch the news for 20 minutes, make your trades and then be done. Mm, so in your opinion, like um, it's a big miss that somebody is like watching the charts all day and on, on eight different screens. And <laughs> I mean, like I don't take anybody like anything away. Like if you want 10 computer screens, that's cool. But like most of my trading is done like right here on my phone. Like, oh, I, really? I trade most of the time on my phone because it's actually, you know, fairly easy just to set up the trade and just be done. So. Yeah. yeah. So, 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 what is the thought process um, going into a trade, like I with think, all your years of experience? So, yeah. So, I'll talk because I'll talk to this because I think it's actually an important question. I think the thought process for many people is I have to analyze the position. All of the analysis should be done before you actually go find it, right? So, mm -hmm. what a lot of people do is they, to use the shopping analogy, they know they need new clothes. And so they go into a store and they mosey around all the aisles and they're looking for the clothes that kind of like jump out at them and they touch everything and they feel everything and they, you know, like check the sizes, they try it all on, but they spend so much time shopping for the right thing that they don't even know what they're looking for. Mm -hmm. My process on this, why we're data-driven approach, like our approach is data-driven. You should know exactly what you're doing before you walk into the market. And so when I look at a trade, It's not that I'm looking at like I'm looking for trades. I know exactly what I'm looking for. And then there's just like a couple things that I want to double check before what, I get. What you're looking for? Sorry to interrupt, but. Yeah. So like, for example, like I look for trades that are roughly 40 to 60 days from expiration. And I'm looking for like I have a list of 10 core ticker symbols that I want to have positions in. So when I go into the market, like today, when the market opens up, whenever that is, I'll go into the market and I'll say, okay, if my 10 core positions that I have, which one can I get into right now that can add balance to the rest of the portfolio? And once I know just which one I want to get into, the exact trade that I'm going to actually get into is very like mechanical and boring. It's the same strategy I've used for years and years and years. So that is no different. And it's like walking to a 
or knowing exactly what color shirt you want and what size, going over and picking it up and then walking right out. And that's mm. how you should train. So, so it would be uh, one of the big traps to avoid is like shopping around, looking around all day without really having like an actual goal that you're trying to achieve. Of course. Well, and like we know, like even like in the shopping analogy, like we tend to spend more money when we just go to shop versus just mm. go to like, buy one thing, right? So in trading, what you should do is you should figure out like what works, like use research, use back testing, use other people's case studies, like figure out what actually works then go find that one trade and make the trade. Don't analyze everything because you get into this analysis paralysis cycle of, you know, like, well, what if this went higher and what if this went lower and what if Apple, you know, mm -hmm. whatever, but all that's subjective. Like, it's just, you don't even know what's going on, right? Like yeah. nobody happened. Yeah. <laughs> so, so give us like the, the framework, so to speak, um, that you're using on your trades. Like what are the, the, big picture strategies while uh, trading options. So um, yeah. Yeah, so I think number one is you gotta be an option seller. So like this thought process goes back to what, what I said about like there's what people expect that's gonna happen and then what actually happens and that difference is, is an edge. So that edge is really gained by selling options and selling premium. So that's number one, you gotta be on the right side of that. Number two is position sizing. So like the killer for everybody is how big your position size is for any one ticker symbol. And so you look back at even, and this is a very front and forward like news story right now, but like UBS, I don't know if you've heard or if people who are listening have heard, UBS is getting like sued by all these clients for an options trade that they had people in. But if you look at like the fundamentals of what went wrong, it wasn't the option strategy, is that they allocated all of the money to one single ticker symbol, to the to one ticker symbol. And so when you have that much, what, what is the ticker symbol? Sorry, I, yeah, I, uh, yeah, like, uh, yeah, like SPY, IWM, like the mm. trade stock trades under. And so you know, like my thought process and my thesis for ten years has been: if we know that this is a game of numbers and it's just probabilities that are playing out, like coin flips, right? So coin flip is just a probability game. Then we know we can't over allocate to one particular stock. Like 100% of your money shouldn't be allocated to Apple. It shouldn't be allocated to Tesla. You should like use the classic diversification and spread your positions out over time, right? So that would be like the the second core thing. I think the third core thing for me is keeping a lot of cash available. So options are a leveraged product, right? So options by default and the way that they're structured uses leverage, which means that you have the ability, if you wanted to, to quickly blow up your account <laughs> if you over allocate. So like, I don't believe you need to allocate 100% of your account. I think you could do 30% of your account and keep 70% or 50% in cash. And again, that's your fallback so that if the worst happens, if you go through a, a black swan event where the world collapses and there's nuclear holocaust, like you're okay. You know, you kind of like survive the the environment. So um, that would be another one that I would say. So, I mean, like, you know, sell premium, do it on an ongoing basis, keep position sizes small, keep extra cash. I mean, you do the basic fundamentals of investing and just apply it to options trading, you'd probably be okay. Mm, and are, are there like any, any ninja secrets that you have? So <laughs> ninja secrets, there are no secrets. I mean, like I, I tell people this all the time, but everyone's trying to find a hack in the options industry. You know, like, is there a hack? Is there a trick? There's no hack or trick. So the secret is, is that the difference between how much money you can make today and how much money you can make in the future is patience. Like the patience to let a position work for 30 or 40 or 60 days. 
And most people in trading don't have that kind of patience. That's tough to find is somebody who's patient enough to let, let the position work out because you can't make money getting into and out of a contract right now. You know, like none of that happens. No wealth is created that fast. Wealth is always created over time and patience. So the same thing applies to options. Mm. So uh, because you seem to be like a big believer in uh, diversification, um, do you think um, like going all in or, or do you think that there's a certain time and place uh, for going all in? No. No, <laughs> really? Never? No. no. Why would there ever be? Because if there was a certain time and place for going all in, basically what it does is it creates a false positive, right? So when people get into a position and they allocate, say, 25% of their account and then it works – They think to themselves, huh, I've got some special talent. Or mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. right? And then what they do is they then they do it again. And at some point, it's going to come back to bite them in the end. And so no, I don't ever believe in that. Mm. So, so um, Kirk, what are the other trips to avoid while uh, option trading? So. I mean, I think there's like classic emotional traps. I mean, there's, you know, the endowment effect, which is basically like people get into these positions and they feel like they should, you know, do everything possible to save them. And, you know, they, they value these positions that they're in or these stock positions that they're in. When if they look at it objectively, they, they shouldn't be in any of these positions. Um, there's a lot of recency bias in options trading. So like the recency bias that really kicks in is this idea that, If you make a, here's a classic example, okay? Mm -hmm. So a lot of the trades that we do are 70% chance of success trades. Like we know historically, if this trade was executed a thousand times, 2000 times, we're going to win about 70% of the time, right? So they take that and they extrapolate it down to 10 positions. And so they think to themselves, okay, if Kirk says it's going to win 70% of the time, I'm going to make 10 trades. And if they don't have seven winners and three losers, they think, oh, Game's over. It's totally a scam. This whole thing doesn't work. Mm. But it's only because their their whole universe has been predicated on just the recent past of five or six trades versus the expected outcome in the future. So like a lot of those like mental traps, like I think, kill people. This is why you maybe people hear the stat like 98% of traders lose. I don't know if they lose or just quit. Like I think a lot of people mm. just too early, right? And ultimately when they quit and they, they draw positions, they just cut themselves off at the knees. They, they never gave themselves enough time to be successful. Mm, and I think it's in any field, like uh, in entrepreneurship, so, so many people are starting businesses and everybody says like, oh man, entrepreneurship, it's never going to work. But uh, yeah, most people don't really put the time in and same goes for fitness, like uh, so, so many, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm going to start using you for sure as like <laughs> for that, because like I tell people this all the time with fitness, like if you want to be physically fit and healthy, do you think it's better to go to the gym and run for 36 hours, one, like one, two or three day yeah. stretch, right? <laughs> or is it better just to go a little bit every day? But like, you're yeah. not going to see the results from getting on the treadmill and like burning yourself out, right? It takes time. And so, yeah, same thing applies. Yeah. And and I think most people actually, they really want to have the results like now, like getting uh -huh. rich uh, trading star, uh, options now or like going to the gym and having the perfect body in a week or 30 days or something like that. Right. Yeah. Like right. it takes yeah. time. Right. Like and that's the difference. The difference between being successful and not is only two things. It's consistency and persistence in mm -hmm. every part of life. Consistency. Oh to do the right things and the persistence to do it when you don't feel like doing it. So when you go through a string of, in my case, like in trading, like when you go through a string of losing trades, it's hard to say, crap, 
Like, is something wrong? Is something broken? Should I do something different? But if your mechanics are sound and if you trust the process, you got to keep going through that. Like Warren Buffett's a great example of this because I use Buffett all the time. Not only is he a big options trader, which people actually don't know, but he's a big options trader, like sells $5 billion worth of options contracts. People don't know that, right? Yeah. Didn't know that at all. Yeah. Totally disclosed. It's all in his 10Ks and 10Qs. But what's cool about Buffett is when you look at the performance of Berkshire Hathaway versus like the market, he's gone through periods where he's underperformed the market for like 10, 12 years at a time. Think about that for a second. For like almost 12 years, he was not as smart as the market. But in the totality of his reign as the supreme investor in the world, right, he's crushed the market. But when you microscope it down to a certain time period, he's had very troubling times. He's had very good times. The same thing is going to happen in trading and fitness and life and marriage and relationships and entrepreneurship. You're going to have great times. You're going to have bad times. But it's the mechanics that keep you sound. And 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 what I would love to hear is like personally, um, there must be like also like big big difference uh, skill wise in option trading. No. So um, could you please speak to that? Like like I think that there also must be like people who are naturally talented at it, like people who are like naturally born masters at it. So could you please speak to that? I don't think so. I think there's. You don't think so? No, I don't think so at all. Because like look. Options trading is about math, right? So if you can do like algebra, and I'm talking like fifth grade, maybe sixth grade algebra, like you can do simple like probability statistics, multiply, you know, percentages, you can trade options because if you make it more complicated than just frankly math, then you start to go down the hole of thinking that it's a lot of skill, but it's not. So like the best investors in like that I've seen, especially in our community are people who have no background in finance. And the reason is, is because when they come in, they have no preconceived notions of how mm. the world works. And so a lot of people, when they come in and they have all of this background in finance, yes, that helps them understand the terminology and it helps them understand, you know, what a broker is. And you, you have some of that like early, like learning block stuff that they get over. But we have to break down a lot of like preconceived conditioning. notions. Yeah. Yeah. Conditioning. Yeah. You're, yeah. That's a good way of putting it. Like the conditioning that they have. So I don't think it takes any skill to do it. I, I think if anything, the skill is emotional intelligence to have enough emotional intelligence to let positions work. And if that's the skill, then that's the skill that you have to have. And and how does one develop that? Because I think it's such a useful skill for everything. Like people get emotional in their relationships and about like nearly everything. So could you please speak to that? I think, you know, the latest thing I've been telling people to do is I said, stop checking the weather. And that's the problem, mm. like things like that. So like as humans, we're conditioned and we are addicted to prediction. That's why, you know, like weather forecasts are so terrible, like five days out, right? Like we all know this, you know, like they couldn't predict like anything five days out. They're like, <laughs> like, you know, the tomorrow's weather with a lot of accuracy. But we love looking at the weather because we want to know what's going on. We want to know like, what, what's it going to be like this week? Is it going to rain? Is it going to be hot? It's going to be cold. How's that affect me? So I tell people now, like, Try this. Stop Stop looking at the weather and just like figure out what it's going to be in the moment. And that's probably the closest relationship that you, know, that you could potentially have to the market. So if you get comfortable in that scenario where you don't have to predict and like forecast, then you get comfortable just trading and being in whatever scenarios is around you. I think that's a good skill that you could, you know, then like transfer over to the market because what you don't want to do is you don't want to get do what everyone else is doing, which is read the news, follow this, try to predict this, use a million. Mm. 
because a lot of it is just garbage. Like it doesn't work. So. Mm. So basically, people are consuming too much information, and mostly what's uh, out there is like bullshit. So. Well, think about it this way. Like we'll use like a personal finance analogy, right? Like. Yeah. The way that you can become rich and wealthy and successful is just frankly, like when you boil it down, is to save more than you spend, right? Like, yeah. So if that's the basics, everything else is noise. What you do with that savings and how much you save and whatever, if you don't have that like formula down, everything else is worthless. Mm. In, options, in options trading, what people do is they try to get and, and look at every little thing like, why do I need this? And how do I do this? And build me a system where I can check the market. And do I need to check 22 things a day? No, 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 no. What you have to do is you have to get the big rocks in place first. All of that other stuff is noise. It will come in later on. But if you get the big important picture like right now, which is small positions, diversified trades, right? Selling premium, you are 90% of the way there. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. It's like sort of skill because it's complicated because options are – you know, like there's a lot of terminology that people have to get over. Like even you asked, like, what's a ticker symbol, right? So like yeah. you have to for that terminology. But once you do, it's very simplistic. It really is. Mm, yeah, the same as in, in the marketing space. Like everybody is like worried about like, oh, th uh, should I have this button color or this one? Yeah. And um, they don't even have a good hook or a good story to sell. So um, right. yeah, it's really thing. about the fundamentals. Yeah. It's always about the fundamentals, like in every discipline and every like football, sports, basketball, like it's always the fundamentals. And tr so trading is no different, but people think it is. Mm -hmm. Got it. So um, like for you personally, you love uh, trading options. So um, is there like is this like a personal preference or do you think that Forex trading is also a good idea or like Bitcoin and all the other stuff that's out there? So. Yeah, I mean, like, so here's my opinion on it. And and I, I probably will, because I always do get a lot of, like, flack when I say this. But okay. show me a business where you can walk in and have defined profit, defined risk, so you know exactly how much you can make, exactly how much you could lose, and a high probability of success. There's almost no investing business that is like that, that is as liquid and as big as the options market. In Forex, you might think that you have an edge, but most of the time, it's 50-50. In Bitcoin and all this stuff like that, you're you might think that you have an edge, but frankly, it could be 50-50. And so what you're playing is you're playing potentially this long game of like value investing, which I agree with. Like there's a place and time for that. It just takes a really long time to work out. And if it doesn't work out in your favor, you just wasted so much time and effort trying to go down that path. So, you know, like to me, I love options because it gives us an ability to define exactly what we want to do and like basically create the scenario that we want to, you know, profit in. Like if you want to profit 90% of the time, you can build strategies that do that. If you want to profit 60% of the time, but then make more money when you win, you can build strategies that do that. There's no other business that can do that. That's mm. my Got it. So um, let let me let me ask you a tough question here. So <laughs> so um, there are a lot of people out there that think that oh forex trading, option trading, it's all bullshit. So uh, what would you tell them? Like uh, yeah, please speak to that. I mean, look for like obviously it's not BS because there's a huge market for it, right? So like it exists, right? But I think the difference is in where people actually start their journey with it. 
And where they ultimately end up is the patience and the discipline to stick with it long enough to let a system work out. So like nobody ever got rich investing a hundred dollars and then just walking away, you know, and then coming back to that hundred dollars, maybe it, you know, grew for sure. But like, there's a, a mechanical cadence to how this all works and you have to be disciplined enough to keep doing the same activities time and time again. You can't just throw $100 and hope and pray. That's called luck. So I'm going you, to get rich. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So <laughs> people look at options. Well, like here's a like very good example of this. Like um, so this whole UBS thing with like UBS and people are suing them for their like bad, you know, trades that they had, right? Yeah. yeah. UBS had I think they made $82 million or something like that on this trading strategy and fees from their clients. So you look at this massive bank on the institutional side, the Wall Street of the Wall Street, right, making millions of fees, and they literally broke a cardinal rule of over-allocating on a position for all of their clients. So there's this assumption that all of this is BS because there's somebody else who knows better. And that somebody else who knows better that has insider information is the market, the high frequency traders, the big banks, the this and that. But they're run by people. <laughs> and those people still don't know what the heck they're doing in many cases. And so that creates an opportunity for regular retail traders. The problem is you just have to be patient enough to let that opportunity reveal itself, to let it you know, mature over time and it doesn't take you know it doesn't take weeks it takes years or months to happen so so what would you tell everybody who is interested in an option trading who really wants to get good at this or who wants to do it successfully because let, let's be honest there's so so many hustlers out there in the internet sure. so so many people selling you the dream like get rich quick and buy this and um you you will live the good life and you know what i'm saying yeah. so <laughs> so so could could I'm you like, please speak to that like how to identify those and yeah Oh, yeah, because I'm like the antithesis of that for sure. I mean, like, you know, like I tell people like it is very much a smell test for everything. So mm -hmm. I know I turn a lot of people away because when they come in, I say, look, you're not going to get rich over, you know, like overnight. It's going to take you like five years to make this work. You're going to have to do it, you know, do it every day or every other day. That turns a lot of people off. And I get that. Right. Mm -hmm. But I think the smell test, like the gut check of like a lot of this stuff is very simple. So like when I see people send me like pages and they send me links and they send me emails like, Kirk, check this out. Check this out. I'm like, did you do the math on this? Like they're saying you can make 25% per week. Like you compound that out. Like in five years, you own the world, you know, like, <laughs> like it doesn't even make sense. Like at that compounding rate, like you own the entire state of Texas, you own California. So like just do a little bit of like smell tests. Like if it sounds like it's too good to be true, it probably is too good to be true. Right. <laughs> Got it. So um, I would love to hear like how you build your community on an uh, option alpha, is it right? So um, before we talk about that, like give our listeners your best advice on option trading. Like, uh, yeah, please speak to that. So I think the best advice on options trading is to run it like an insurance business. And so when you look at the best traders in the world, one of the best traders in the world is Buffett. Now, Buffett gets a lot of attention for all of his stock picks, but where Buffett really made his money is in insurance. In Geico and all this stuff, he sells insurance. Selling insurance is the exact same business model as options trading. So if you really want to understand options trading, understand the insurance business because there's so many parallels between them. And ultimately, that's why Buffett is not only very successful, 
but it's also why he ends up being one of the biggest options traders of all time. Like the single biggest contracts that he's done are $5 million trades or $5 billion trades. Like think about that. He's traded $5 billion worth of options contracts in a single quarter at some point. So like that's a <laughs> that's lot. Crazy. Of, that's crazy. Right. And nobody asks him about it. So my biggest piece of advice is, you know, like everyone looks at Buffett and saying like, he's the, yeah, I think he's great. Right. But like do some more digging, like find out really like what he's actually doing because he's not just buying and selling companies. He's got extra money to do that. His core business is things. Mm, got it. So uh, could you please share with us this, the, the story behind creating Option Alpha? Yeah. So Option Alpha very much like came out of existence just through necessity, I think. So when I started trading at home, I started doing a blog on like old Google Blogspot, which I don't know how, I don't even know if it still exists anymore, but it's all like blogger. But before that, it was like the Blogspot. And so I started writing about what I was doing. Like, and that was just to me and like, you know, a place for me to journal. I had a couple of friends in New York who would like read it and see what I was doing. And that eventually became a little bit more popular as more people saw it. And people started writing and asking questions. And so I would reply to these emails with questions. When, uh, in what year did you start uh, Option Alpha? Like that 2011? Was in, yeah, so like Option Alpha like eventually became the name. But it eventually, like the original website was thebullsandbears.com with Zs, which was totally embarrassing now that I even like I always <laughs> I show people a screenshot of it and it's totally embarrassing. It's like the B-U-L-L-Z, um, the bulls and bears. But uh, but that eventually became option writer and then we became option alpha. Like we just went through name changes. But um, but eventually like people started emailing in questions, right? And so I would answer these very simple questions about options trading. Or if they had a more complex answer about like some weird sophisticated way to do option pricing or whatever, then I'd have to go research it and like double check and make sure that my answer was right, et cetera, and then email it back. And so I started getting a lot of questions and I was like, God, like this is so like, it was taxing. Like I would get questions in and I want to answer them. So then I would create a video to like explain a topic that I had answered 22 times in email. And so now I would just send people a link and say, look, like I already answered this. Here's the video. And then that became people asking, well, like, Hey Kirk, this video was really good. So like, why don't you do a whole course on options basics or a whole course on expiration or whatever the case is. And that is really where it became something where I was like, man, There's something missing in this industry, This and, and that was 2007, 2008 time period, right? There's something missing in this industry where education is not only just like hard to come by, like it's just hard to find at that point, but in many cases, a lot of people had it behind a paywall. So you had to pay $1,000 to take a iron condor trading course. And like that actually still exists today. Like I've seen people that charge $3,000 to take a course on options basics or you know, $5,000 to take a course on iron condors. And, and I'm not like knocking them. They do what they do. And that's cool. Like you run your business the way you want to do it. I saw an opportunity to say, look, look, we could do something really cool where we give all this stuff away for free. We don't charge ever for it. You come in, you consume as much as you want. You take all of our information and like run with it. And then when, and if you feel like you wanted to help contribute, you could help contribute. Eventually, what that eventually became was we decided we wanted to start doing more research and software, which is where we started charging for that kind of technology. To me, I think it's amazing because now. So sorry to interrupt, but but how did you go about this whole process, like creating the software? And yeah, I think oh, everybody man, would yeah. love to hear this. So 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 eventually, basically, what happened is I wanted to get more information, right? And so I knew that information was hard to purchase, like data was hard to purchase. 
and and still is pretty hard to purchase. And you got to clean the data and options trading. Like even the data you get from exchanges, like it's not clean. It's full of errors and bugs, and you got to double check and triple reference it and whatever. So there's a process for actually purchasing the data, which is crazy. And then you have to go through and clean it. And then you have to build software to actually run tests. And what I wanted to do originally was I wanted to figure out, okay, I've seen all this research on this and I've seen research on that. And I understand why this might be the case, but I want to test it on a million different like combinations of strategies and different ticker symbols and different environments. Like I want to stress test the, the daylights out of this to see what works. Mm-hmm. And so what I eventually figured out about the beauty of the option alpha community, hopefully, is that if we like crowdsource this intelligence and we said like, look, hey, look, everyone initially, you guys want to help us build this. It's going to be, you know, this amount of money and that can help us, you know, build this software and technology, which we're then going to give back to everyone. Right. And it is very much like a, a give and take relationship where, you know, they so, give us. Sorry, sorry to interrupt again, but you were hiring like uh, like IT people and software engineers. Yes. No, just one developer. Like we mm. we started with one developer. Now we have 18 people on staff and most of them are developers. But initially started with one developer that could help us build out a piece of software to backtest and like trade all this stuff. Um, and so that's that's eventually what we did. And now we just like really, really accelerate that process to now we do a lot more software, a lot more research than I ever thought we would do. But it's cool because everyone gets the benefit of that that's part of our community because now we start to do new things and we start to publish them out and so it's a really cool relationship and how we built and what's even and and in this day and age to not spend money on advertising i think we spend let me clarify i think we spend five or ten dollars a month on facebook to like retarget people that's and that's nothing. it that's yeah it. That's literally it. We don't spend any on Google. We have zero on paid ads, zero on advertising, zero on Twitter, on Pinterest, on Facebook. Like we don't spend any money. And it's because we built this community where people feel like they can come in and get a lot of good value and then help, you know, kind of build the community through, you know, contributing capital and revenue and stuff like that that we pour back into research. So so when was the, the big turning point when you realized like, oh man. This is like an actual business. I, I got something here. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, honestly, I, I still feel like we have a lot to go. Like, we have 168,000. You're members. very humble. <laughs> yeah. Think about it. Like, we have 168,000 members. Like, that's smaller than, like, some towns in the U.S. Like, we're very, very small even still. So, I think we have a long way to go. Like, we have pretty ambitious goals, and we've got big dreams about how we can do it. I don't think that there was one day where I said like there was a turning point. I will tell you though that the birth of my first daughter, when she came and we like found out that we were pregnant with her because she was, we didn't expect to get pregnant that fast. Okay. So let's say that, right? We knew we were going to get pregnant, but she kind of came a little bit earlier than our like five-year plan. She came in like year three. And uh, (laughs) she came, I was like, well, I need to either do something with this or not. And that's where I'd started to actually like really turn it into something that could be a, a long-term business. And and that was back in 2012, 13. So, mm. so, so I would say that, uh, at the, at the core, you are an entrepreneur actually, because you said, um, you are not looking at charts like all the time and not trying to trade like all the time. So <laughs> could you please? Yeah. Yeah. I think I'm, I, I would classify myself. I'm an old soul. I think I'm an old school, like businessman and how I think about things. So like we have a real estate business that we run, we have that, like my wife runs and we have the option alpha, which is a business, but like, I think about trading as a business. So mm-hmm. I look at options trading as running an options business. And that's how I think about it. So if, when I open the doors to that, I expect never to close the doors to that. I don't ever expect to stop doing that. 
And same thing with Option Alpha. Like when I started Option Alpha and we continue to run today, like I have no intentions of ever closing the doors on this because I feel like we have so much to do in the future. So I think you could use the word entrepreneur, but I think it's more of like old school business. Like I'm very much a believer in not growing too fast, which is counterintuitive to what a lot of people believe today. I don't believe in taking on like a lot of debt and capital. Like I don't believe in raising venture capital. I think there's a a beauty in growing slowly and methodically so that you can grow correctly. You you know what I'm saying? Mm. Like so that you don't grow too fast and think you have it all solved. Because believe me, what Option Alpha is now is 100% what it was not five years ago. I mean, like things have really changed in how we think about how we deliver content, how we help people out and and like where we're going to go in five years. If we grew too fast, I I don't think we would have ever made it. Mm, Got it. So, uh, Kirk, I think everybody who's listening to this would love to hear, like, what are the key, key lessons that you have learned in business uh, over the years. So I think, you know, number one is like solve a problem that people actually want solved. Right. Mm. So a lot of times, and I even see this. So like I do a little bit of angel investing at this point now and like, you know, consulting on the business end, but I see a lot of people come to me with ideas and I'm like, does anybody want that solved? Like, or is that just like your idea, you know? And then look, that's a, that's a real thing. Like I know that I have problems that I don't want to pay to get solved. Like I'm okay keeping those problems and I don't feel like it's a problem I want to give up. So I would think the first thing is like really solve a problem that people have and they want to pay to get solved. It like on the business side, right? I think there's value, like I said, in growing like a glacier. Like I literally think about myself in like business as growing like a glacier, like moving at that speed, like take your freaking time. Like you don't need to rush anything. There's a lot of pressure, even on the option alpha side, for us to like rush things to market. Like we're building an auto trading platform right now that's taking a long time. And a lot of people are upset because it's taking too long because it's not happening as fast as they want. But guess what? We're going to get it freaking right before we launch it. And we're mm. not going to launch a bunch of bugs that are going to like destroy, you know, like break your account, trade things that are not supposed to be traded. So I think there's value in moving slowly. The second thing beyond that is ask like questions, you know, from your community. We did a survey a couple of years ago where we did thousands of interviews with people, right? It was me and my team. And like, we even hired other people to ask people questions and transcribe them. And I wanted to know like, what makes them tick? Yeah. Like trading, like, what is your routine? Do you have coffee first? Do you wake up and check the markets first? Do you go to work and then trade? Like, I want to know that stuff so that I can build tools that help you in your current environment. Like, if I know that most of our people don't make trades until they actually get to work, okay, that helps me. That means that I don't send them a bunch of crap and information in the morning when they're trying to get their kids on the bus and trying to get out the door to work. Like it just doesn't jive with where they are. So now we started changing it up and we send them, you know, friendly reminders when they're at work and they're shorter messages and it's more digestible. It's like things like that. You don't learn until you ask people and and move slowly, like really try to break mm. it so and believe me we've got a lot of work to do like there's a lot of things that we can still do but we're trying to take it like one bite-sized chunk at a time yeah i really love this because i think that most entrepreneurs today like they're really trying to fight the market like they think oh yeah i got this idea and um everybody should buy it and when nobody buys it they still trying to force it you know what i'm saying so well and i think there's you know like it's cool because i i love seeing people start in this options business and move too fast because I know they're going to burn out. Like I know mm. they're going to burn out and that just makes us look better because we're just always going to be here. We're going to be very steady, very consistent. You know, people are going to get what they expect to get with us. 
and that has value. So like the reason why, and you look at like the best brands in the world, like, you know, the Nikes and the whatever, like the reason you like that brand is no, not really because like of who they are, or who they sponsor or who they don't sponsor. It's because you know what you're going to get. Like when you buy a pair of Nike shoes, you know what you're going to, you're going to get when you buy a Tiffany necklace or whatever, like, you know what you're going to get mm. when you go to McDonald's, you know what you're going to get, right? You may not like the outcome of going to McDonald's, <laughs> McDonald's right? But like, you know what you're going to get. And so like, mm-hmm. be a that is solid that people know what they're going to get. If you're moving too fast, too fast, then how in the world are people going to keep up? Because you're changing all the time and they don't know. And that, that scares them. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So, uh, Kirk, at the end, I always ask every guest of mine, five very quick and short questions. But, um, before I ask those five questions, like, Give our listeners your best advice on entrepreneurship. So, uh, yeah. The best advice is move slow. That's it. Just move slow. Don't move too fast. Got it. So uh, could you please tell everybody where can they connect with you, uh, work with you, and so on and so forth? Yeah. Everything is at Option Alpha. So we're on every social media, optionalpha.com or at Option Alpha. That's the best place. Got it. So uh, the first out of the five question is, what are the three books that has the greatest influence on your life? I think the first book is um, The One Thing by Gary Keller. I love mm-hmm. that. Um, the Pumpkin Plan, which I forget who it's by, but I have it up in my desk. But The Pumpkin Plan, it's about just basically like, you know, focusing on your best clients and your best people and like finding your people. Um, and then a recent book is uh, one by Gary John Bishop, which is Unf Yourself. And I love that book. Like it's literally changed my life in the last six months. So I would say those three books are the best. Got it. So uh, the second question is, um, what are the three movies that you have enjoyed the most? <laughs> three movies. I don't know. Like I, I watch a lot of kids' movies now because I have three kids. <laughs> like so. Like I love Coco. Like Coco's like a like a kid movie. Like I love Coco. I don't know. I I think uh, a classic of mine is like uh, Me Joe Black. Like I love Me Joe Black. I don't know. I, I don't know. Probably other. Disney. I like. I'm seven years into like watching a lot of kids movies. Like, <laughs> I have no concept of adult movies. I <laughs> got it. So uh, the third question is, um, what is the most useful product or service that you have bought in recent memory? So I love my Mac. I love all the Apple products. I think it's just very intuitive. It's very simple. It's like complicated tech, but it actually works. Love my uh, AirPods. I would replace them in a second. Like mm. that to me is like they're the coolest things. I love using them. And with kids, like I'm always usually holding a kid, and so they can't like yank on my ears and stuff like that. Um, Tech-wise, I think there's a lot of cool stuff happening. And this is like very selfish for like investors, but like the brokerage industry is going towards this model of like free trading and free commissions that was really spearheaded by Robinhood. And I love where this is going because. This idea that, you know, trading and commissions are going to be free in the future, which I think it will be for everybody, is really, really powerful. Like, I don't think people understand actually the gravity of that. Like, that change that changes the whole dynamic. Mm. So uh, the fourth question is, what are the most important realizations you've had in the last couple of years? And we had some guests who shared, like, something deeply personal <laughs> about their business life, family, travel time. So speak to anything yeah. you feel comfortable sharing. So I would say, and this comes out of actually the recent book that I just said, uh, Unhap Yourself with Gary John Bishop. But I had revelations of 
really the three things that I like believe about the world or myself or other people that sabotage everything that I do. And it's been on a subconscious level and now it's on a conscious level and I have no problem actually talking about it because I think it's so cool. But there's a belief about myself that I have, which is this self-sabotaging, inhibiting belief that I'm not good enough. So I overcompensate for everything and I try to do everything perfect because I want to be good enough. I like everything I've done in my life, I was never good enough. Like I I played college football and like got to college and like played football, but I never like was a full-time starter. I never really got to that level. So I've always thought that I've never been good enough at everything I do. And so, uh, so I naturally compensate for that, but I also put myself deliberately in situations where I can prove that I'm good enough. And that's never a good thing either. You know, like I put myself into a comfortable spot of backing myself into a corner and trying to do things, you know, my way so that I feel good enough. The second thing is I have this self-sabotaging belief that people don't care. And and I've always had this because I've never been in a place where people actually like really, really care until I really kind of came into the option alpha community. And so because I've always believed that people don't care and I believe I don't, I'm not good enough, I take on way too much work than I should have. Like we grew from a couple people two years ago to 18 people now. And I would have never believed that that was a great idea. It's such a great idea because there are so many smarter people than me to do other things that I used to think I could do better. And that's uh, as an entrepreneur, like you're stupid if you think you can do everything the best. And I used to think that, and that's a terrible idea, right? And then the last thing is just this belief about like life, this self-sabotaging belief that I think things are overwhelming. And again, it's because I think people don't care and I wanna be good enough. So I, I put on too much pressure to do too many, too many things. And I think many people like entrepreneurs, definitely investors, heads of household, like, you know, like breadwinners, whatever you want to call it, you have this very like tight complex of like doing too much and putting on too much, you know, like just feeling this weight of the world. And so, um, so I'm doing a better job of like just releasing that and just like focusing on what's active in front of me right now and like everything else will like will be there or not. And it doesn't matter. So got it. So, uh, the last that question like that was that deep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, the the last question for today is, what would you tell your 20-year-old self? Be patient. Mm. I would tell my 20-year-old self to be patient, not to rush. So I think, you know, like I had very much a lot of the stuff that I've even said I've like learned now was a factor of impatience when I was early. I wanted to get there too fast. I wanted to do everything so quickly. And so To a lot of like that helped in motivation and hustle, but it probably would have redirected me to a different path than I am now. I wouldn't have learned it so late. So just be patient. Mm, got it. So uh, thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, I think you have a great energy. It was fun talking to you today. So thank you so much. All right. <laughs> See ya. Thank you for listening. If you like this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe. Also, make sure to share the podcast and tell your friends about it. Thank you so much for supporting the show. I'll see you in the next episode. Over and out. <laughs>